Hello, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. My name is Patrick, and I am your host. And today's episode is with Mike Dion. I am very, very much looking forward to this episode. Uh, I quite enjoyed our chat. Obviously, I've been wanting to catch up with Mike for, well, gosh, ever since I started a podcast. Uh, he is the reason that I and so many people were even introduced to bike packing with his film, Ride the Divide. So, if you aren't familiar with Mike or you haven't seen Ride the Divide, I highly recommend that you just push pause on this episode and go give it a watch. It is about the inaugural Tour Divide race that happened in 2008. And Mike and a handful of others were there. He filmed it. And it's just a great story that really, in my opinion, inspired everything that we see now in bikepacking. I mean, it's what really put it on the map and kind of lit rocket fuel to it. There was definitely a contingent. Uh, things were happening. Uh, but when his film dropped, it's really, in my opinion, the thing that just pushed it over the edge. So it's definitely worth a watch. And this entire episode, we're pretty much talking about the film and Mike's experience with bikepacking and why he did the film and all of that. Because the 10-year anniversary of that film release is coming out on August the 2nd. And in conjunction with that, Mike is going to be doing a live event to celebrate. And a portion of that is going to be a live Q&A and just conversation with the cast and the crew and the athletes. And he has asked me to moderate that and kind of host that portion of it, which, of course, I agreed to. So I'm looking forward to that. It was actually pretty funny. I saw that it was a 10-year anniversary, and I reached out to Mike, and I said, hey, would you like to do an episode? I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, and this would be a great chance to catch up with you and see what you've been into, pick your brain a little bit, and get a portion of your story. And he said, yeah, I'd love to, but I, I want to ask you something too. And uh, that's whenever he was like, hey, I was wondering if you'd want to host the uh, live Q&A and kind of moderate and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that. Hopefully you'll be able to join us online for the live event. You can go to bikesordeath.com. There's a link at the very top. It says RTD10 party. And if you'll use that, all the details about the event are there. Almost all the cast and crew is up there. All the goodies, basically everything you need right there. One place. You can go directly to rtd10.com. But if you go through the hyperlink on the Bikes or Death homepage, me, I, Bikes or Death, Patrick, gets a little bit of money, and that is always appreciated. So I hope that you'll be able to join us on the live event. But if not, no worries. Uh, that website is going to stay live and active. So if you're listening to this after August 2nd, which is when the live event is going to be, no worries. All the information is still relevant. The only difference is you won't be able to participate in a live manner and ask questions and get to interact. But uh, you'll have access to all that. So just wanted to make that note. If you're hearing this after August, August 2nd, still worth going over and checking out if you're interested. All right, well, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, this is episode number 49 of the Bikes for Death podcast, which is cool, but what's even cooler is episode 50. And I've got a really special guest coming up next. It's already in the can and being edited, so I can get it ready for y'all beautiful people out there. And if you wanna know who the 50th guest is gonna be, listen all the way to the end and I'll tell you. 
All right, and if you would like to support the Bikes for Death podcast, it is always appreciated. Head over to bikesfordeath.com. I've made it easy to support the show. Uh, the number one way is through Patreon. Patreon patrons are sustaining members. It's a monthly donation. Comes out of your bank account. You don't even have to worry about it. A uh, dollar a month really does go a long way. Honestly, if everybody who listened gave a dollar a month, I could pretty much make this my full-time gig. If you're interested in supporting the show and helping the wheels spin and keeping the PSI just so dialed in and so crisp so we can uh, keep this podcast rolling to maximum efficiency and handling, (laughs) I'm trying here, folks. I'm trying. Head over to bikesordeath.com. There's lots of ways to support the show, Uh, whether you're a patron, which is a monthly sustaining member, all the way from as little as a dollar a month up to however much you want to give goes a long way. You can give a one-time donation on PayPal if you just think this episode or another one was great and you maybe got a stimulus check and you want to throw a couple extra dollars my way that's cool too and uh head over to the web store there's lots of new goodies over there i got a new landscape design t-shirt that's gray with black lettering on it we just got in some pens if you like pens if you want to stick a pen on something we got those we got those we got pens they got a van on there anna claire beasley did this really cool design uh with my van and me interviewing Kate, and she kind of put the two uh, images together and, and did a nice little rendering there. Yeah, lots of good stuff over there. We got more coming. And while you're there, don't forget that 1% of all the proceeds go to the Bikepacking Roots BIPOC Adventure Grant Program. And also, the COVID-19 sale is still going on. Yeah, there is still a pandemic, not in the rest of the world, of course, but in America where we can't wear a mask or whatever the fuck our problem is, we still have a pandemic. So there's still a pandemic sale going on. Uh, At checkout, just use C19, and that'll take 90% off your order because times are tough out there. I know. It's weird to be asking for money, but hey, I do this that takes away from my job and my family, and you know it takes a lot of time. So if you can, I know it's a crazy time out there in this world, but if you can find a way to support the show, it is always appreciated. And even if not, you're still appreciated. Thank you for being here. And I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Now, Miles Arbor is going to lead us off with the Bikes or Death intro song. So let's get to it. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. Just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your boss, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, I have a uh, really ex- special guest tonight. Uh, Mike Dion is on the podcast with us. And if you are not familiar with Mike Dion, he is the uh, all- stars in and is the director of Ride the Divide, which is how a lot of people have gotten into bikepacking. And I really credit it for this like uh, this surge of that really like 
catapulted bikepacking into what it is now. You know, I don't know how you feel, but first of all, thanks for coming on the show. You bet. And before we get too far in, I've directed uh, the other bikepacking films, but Ride the Divide, since I was a one of the athlete racers, uh, Hunter Weeks has uh, actually got director credit on, uh. on Ride the Divide films. So. Um, but, but we're kind of the, a two man team producing, directing pretty much all the bikepacking films that, that have been put out there, but uh, it's kind of hard to direct a film when you're also, when you're also trying to put in over a hundred miles a day on the Great Divide mountain bike route. Well, I was actually wondering about that. So I'm, I, I'm a dummy whenever it comes to like producing a movie, but so would you be a, the producer? Were you a producer of it? Dude, these are so such small teams. It's seriously Hunter, <laughs> Hunter and I have really been the, you know, the two kind of people with the creative force, you know, producing and directing these. Of course, we've brought in other people to with uh, cinematography and, and filming and graphic designers and and uh, sound design and things like that. But as far as being out there with a camera and then in the edit bay, it's, it's been pretty much two of us, Hunter and I. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. Y'all produce so much with like such a small, small team, you know? Dude, the hats we wear is insane. Yeah, a lot of lot of long nights. I'm guessing. Oh, dude, <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> and sleepless ones. I'm sure as well. All right. Well, if, if anyone hasn't heard, you recently announced that we're coming up on the 10 year anniversary of when that film was released, and in conjunction with that, you're going to be doing a live event. Information is available at rtd10.com, and. Why don't you just give us a rundown of what that is, when it is, and all the juicy bits? Sure. So it's, you know, any documentary, I think, that can stand the test of time for 10 years deserves some sort of celebratory recognition, especially, you know, one around bikepacking. But, you know, a year or two ago, we always, you know, kind of knew it would be worth doing something surrounding the 10-year anniversary mark of, of this film. And, and, and bikepacking or, or even the Tour Divide race, which, you know, we filmed in 2008 and it took us about two years to kind of get the film edited and out there. So, so we actually shot it 12 years ago. I think just, you know, just this community has really been so amazing with the three films that have kind of been put out there from a feature standpoint surrounding bikepacking. It, it's actually been amazing that they've, you know, done well and, and there's an interest for them. So, well, the way you said stood the test of time, I, that's exactly what I was thinking about whenever I was rewatching it for the one millionth time is, you know, this is something that I feel like I watched 10 years from now and I'll still be, it'll still be relevant. You know, there was only that one time period when you could capture that, you know, when it was so small, so grassroots, nobody knew about it. You know, it was mind blowing at the time, you know, like we can't go back to a time when we didn't all know about bikepacking. You know, and and you were the guy that put it on. I mean, at least from my perspective, and I've talked to a lot of bike packers. Like you were, you that film was the film that really put it on your, their radar and like put it in people's brains and in their hearts, and they couldn't get it out. And here we all are. So hell yeah, a ten year anniversary. I think is very uh, very appropriate for sure. Indeed, very cool. But think back to two thousand eight. Um, you know, Facebook I think was brand new. You know, the the iPhone, maybe just very first iPhone, maybe just came out or or hadn't come out yet. You know, so how did, you know, we really kind of get absorbed media as a fan of, of a particular thing? And it, and it was forums. It was, you know, forums are, are kind of what existed back then to kind of share information or, or where, you know, people from a, a like-minded community kind of 
would uh, would get together and, and communicate with each other. So so I think it was just nature of the beast that it, it just happened to be this film. And and of course, you know, we didn't know what the hell we were even doing. There was no plan that it was going to be a feature film. You know, when when we were kind of out there, it was. I don't know. Let's try to document this thing the best, you know, the best we can and, and, and kind of see what happens. So at the time it was not ride the divide. It was, it was a couple of guys out there with a, a brand new HD video camera, which HD in 2008 was brand new <laughs> just to kind of put that out there. So it was just one of those, you said it was just the right time, the right kind of passion, the right kind of spark. And, you know, you can kind of say a lightning in, in a bottle, a great cast too. I mean, all the people that were in it were you could you could relate to them. You know, I mean, it's so relatable. I think that was the thing that, like, for me, I really connected to. It made me feel like I could one day maybe go do that. Not today, but I felt like if I worked, like these were just regular people that were going out there and doing something really extraordinary. That's one of the things, at least, I, I related to. Awesome. But before before we go too far down a tangent, we let's talk more about the live event because I want to make sure we get that info out there. So to, to celebrate, and again, you know, the film was shot. I think you know some people are just discovering the film for the first time now, and and I think people, you know, maybe aren't aware that it was actually filmed twelve years ago and what was going on, you know, back then. So so for me, you know, just to appreciate and honor, you know, the people that even came before you know, when we, when we were out there filming. So Mike McCoy, who had actually 25 years ago, you know, started researching and mapping out what, you know, what was the idea that they had sitting around drinking beers over a campfire? It's like, I wonder if we could create a a route, you know, that, you know, it's like the longest off-road route in in the world, you know, what would that look like? And, and let's try to stay within, you know, 25 or 30 miles of the continental divide, you know, the entire length, (laughs) you know, what, what was going on with that group of people 20, 25 years ago. And then, and then now when that route was out there, then you got John Stamstad, who was like, you know, what, what sparked him? It's like, wow, the longest route in the world. Well, I should see how fast I can bike that in. Right. So, so that's kind of what I wanted. What year was that? He did it in 1999. So the maps came out. So it came out in 95? 95 to 97. I think they kind of rolled out, you know, the maps over like three or four years or a couple of years. So, so then, true pioneers, man. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so that's kind of what I wanted to do is, is bring to light with this event as far as, you know, celebrating, you know, the film being 10 years old, but what was going on even before, before then, you know, what was kind of, it was a handful of people, it, you know, what, I don't even know if the word bikepacking, you know, was, was even kind of used back then. I don't even know what year the word bikepacking, you know, even came to be 2007 ish or something. So, so that's kind of what I wanted to roll into this event was even go back further with the history and then kind of roll into the film and some Q and A and see some of uh, the racers, you know, 12 years later and, and what they're up to and then kind of reminiscing as, as the film is streaming live to a, a worldwide audience. And then one little piece in there too, is just, you know, with all the history talk, I think it was also, it's also important to kind of also add to this event, what's happening now in, in 2020, you know, specifically with, you know, not so much COVID, but, but, you know, with adversity and inclusion and, and things like that. So inside the screening uh, room, we're also going to have some videos kind of talking about what's currently happening to not to balance out the history, but just to, I think if we're going to put a big event together, let's, you know, add, 
you know, a bit more relevancy with the today in there. I think that's great. I mean, I think there's so many things that fans, myself included, will be uh, excited to hear about from all the different cast members because we're not talking about professional athletes that you can follow their careers, you know, as they go along. Like we watched this movie and 10 years later, it's like, well, what happened? You know, <laughs> what happened to them? So I, I don't know. I think that'll be, um, that'll be good. And then it'll be interesting. I'm always interested to understand how quickly the sport has come. I mean, in the last 10 years or 12 years, I guess, to be more accurate. I mean, it's just come so far. It's, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. It's exciting. I mean, really, it's truly exciting. Yes. Well, just to see the evolution of of the bike, you know, the the bags, you know, back in in 2007, 2008, there were really two guys, you know, sewing the modern bike packing bag and it was almost impossible to get them. You'd have to wait sometimes, you know, 4 months, 5 months to to get your your bag sewn and and now you probably can't count all the different you know, people making custom bike packing bags around the world. So, and bikes designated for it and routes all over the place. And I mean, there's other filmmakers that have popped up and making great, I mean, you know, now it's just everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I agree, man. I agree. I mean, I, you know, there's uh, quite a few podcasts out there now. And the truth is, is that there's so much going on that, the media is in demand. People are wanting to know more about the people. They want to know about the places, you know, the bikes, the equipment, all of it. I mean, it's how do I do that? You know, because when you see it, if you're someone like me and obviously like you, you see that you're like, oh yeah, that's what I want to do now. How do I do it? And you start gobbling up as much information as you can. Yeah. Back in the day, it was uh, on forums and you chit, 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 and someone posts a picture of their bag that they made in their kitchen with their wife's sewing machine. And you're like, (laughs) okay, let's do that. Exactly. (laughs) so true (laughs) yeah so i love it i mean that's part of why i have a podcast is i mean i i wanted to talk to these people i mean i want to talk to you i want to talk to all these people that go and do these things i'm like how'd you do that (laughs) and back then it's it's like yeah what what caused that initial that spark and that wanderlust to to kind of get out there and and kind of do it and you know somehow or other it happens to everybody you know you don't just one day go, I'm going to go buy a bicycle and some bike packing bags and, and go, you know, take off for, for a weekend somewhere, you know, somewhere, you know, in your consciousness, an idea or a picture or a thought or a movie or a, or a short film or something, you know, sparked that in you. So what was it that put the Tour Divide route on your map and specifically, I guess, a race maybe too? So the Tour Divide was, you know, so we've participated in the inaugural tour divide so the precursor to that was the border to border race along the great divide mountain bike route which was the the great divide race and that i believe was 2004 5 6 7 and then it did also go into 2008 um, as well so in 2008 both the border to border race and the tour divide were happening at the same time so i think i kind of started paying attention in 2006, somewhere around there, I had uh, just kind of gotten into and did the Leadville 100, and then it's like, wow, what what else is out there in in this in this kind of scene? And and then somehow came across that the Great Divide race, and then another uh, gentleman who will be part of this is Joe Polk. So he had a blog called MTB Cast, and back in 2006, seven. He had 
for whatever reason, he had kind of took it upon himself that he was taking payphone, crappy audio recordings from from uh, these athletes out out on the route, and he would kind of you know get them transcribed and and then put them up onto into onto his blog. And and I remember you know during that era, I was a producer at Stars Entertainment, the movie channel, sitting in my office and. And just like listening to these audio call-ins during the day when I should be working. But, you know, here are these guys out, you know, in Montana and Colorado talking about these amazing adventures that that they're having, you know, listening in every day. And it's like, holy crap. You know, to answer your question, that was my wanderlust lust sort of jolt happened, happened right around then. And and how I absorbed it was through like MTBR forums and uh and joe pokes audio call-ins well that he was the original uh bikepacking podcast man yeah he's the, he's the originator of uh getting down to the athletes man he's yep. a forward-thinking man yeah but that's interesting i mean that's exactly right like that's how you you like heard about it from from him and and it lit this well i guess you heard about it earlier how Tell me about Leadville. I'm I'm super curious about that. You did that in what 07 or or 06? I think it was 06. 06 or 07. I'd have to hit the Googles and and find out. I got a belt buckle. <laughs> I hey. did it in a terrible time. It was like 11 hours and 19 minutes or something. Actually, it was another blogger, Eldon Nelson, the fat cyclist. He goes back a, a long time ago. He's still I think he's got some podcasts and, and stuff he's doing now around the Leadville uh, series, but he had some blogs where he was sort of recounting his Leadville race experiences and reading through those again, it's like, Oh my gosh, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> that sounds, yeah. that sounds hard, but, but amazing. And living just outside of Denver, you know, Leadville is just an hour and a half up the highway. So, um, you know, applied one year and got in and it's like, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> guess I got to do it. <laughs> guess I got to do it. So what kind of cyclists were you? So, I mean, from 2006 to 2008, you did Leadville. So somewhere in there, six, seven, eight, you did Leadville and then you did uh, Tour Divide. What kind of cycling were you doing before that? I was always a kid on a bicycle. So I had, you know, the BMX bikes, freestyle bikes. My my dad helped me build a quarter pipe in our backyard, you know, stuff, stuff like that. And I bought my first mountain bike in 1986 or 87, uh, specialized rock hopper comp. <laughs> yeah, that's what um, I had. <laughs> so, so I'd always, you know, kind of been, you know, mountain biking and, and out in it, but never much from a, a racing standpoint, you know, just always, you know, going up into the mountains and hitting the lakes and, and trails and, you know, getting lost for entire days and, and things like that. So, so that was kind of my you know, background. So as far as, you know, bike handling and skill sets and, and everything and growing, I grew up in Montana and, and, you know, camping as a kid and, and fishing and, and stuff like that. So as far as, you know, being lost in the woods, you know, didn't bother me at, at all. So, so then it was just more the, the endurance kind of side of things as a transitioning out of Leadville, then thinking about uh, the tour divide was, was sort of the big question mark for me. I remember at one point in the film, you were like 270 miles. I don't remember the exact miles. It was 200. That's the most I've ever ridden. <laughs> no doubt. And it, it does, you know, at definitely over at any given time. So, so the Leadville was my first sort of century. And then, you know, 
during some training, I'd maybe done one or two other hundred mile days. But other than that, it was just, a, it was just a lot of base training. I, my commute to, to stars entertainment was like 48 miles round trip. So I would, you know, commute to work two or three times a day. So that was a really good base foundation. Then I'd go up and, and hit all the, the foothills and evergreen from, from my place. So, you know, go put in five, six hour, um, sort of weekend training rides, but that was kind of my, you know, prep. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's nowadays there's so much beta that you can get and there's, you know, so much training. I mean, there's coaches that you can hire people <laughs> that tell you what right. to do back then. I mean, y'all were carrying Crocs on the back of your camelbacks, you know, I mean, it's just a different time. Funny story, dude. I, uh, I found my black Crocs just the other day and they've become my new favorite shoe. They're 12 years old. <laughs> Man, I would I would get it sponsored by Crocs because I wear them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Funny story. That's crazy you mentioned that. Well, it stands out. I love Crocs. So I was like, yeah, Michael Dion, he wears Crocs. He's my boy. <laughs> I hadn't though. I hadn't, you know, for 12 years, but I found him in a closet. And you now you can't take them off. Dude, these are squishy. These are these are comfy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I get so much shit for mine because they look so terrible, but uh they they feel great and yes. that's okay. I mean I'm past look, who are we trying to impress, Mike? No doubt. Who are we trying to impress? <laughs> no <doubt>, man. <laughs> Obviously you said you work for Stars Entertainment. You made a film, you made several films. So what do you do for a living? Because obviously that tied into you making this movie. Yeah, so I, I actually went to film school back in the day. So Bozeman, Montana, Montana State University has a film and television program. So I actually have a film and television production degree. Um, so I've been in the business, you know, more or less since the, I'll date myself since the sort of the early nineties in one way or another. We, my wife and I, who's also from Montana, we moved out to Colorado in 1998 and I got hooked up with the Hallmark channel and then stars entertainment. So I'd been in kind of corporate television you know, seen out here in Colorado. So production is in my background, film and production and commercials and, and all that stuff. So, okay. So whenever you decided to ride the divide, which came first, your desire to ride it or your desire to film it? Or how did that all go down? The desire to ride it absolutely came first. And then, you know, GoPros didn't exist back then. You know, there were no drones. There were none, you know, none, none of that stuff. So I thought, it's like, man, I could do this and, and I might be able to kind of lug along a smallish video camera, which was still, you know, the size, you know, the palm of your hand and probably, you know, two and a half, three pounds or, or something like that. So I thought, yeah, you know, I might be able to film you know, a little bit of it and make something out of it. I don't know. But then about that same time, I learned about this documentary film called 10 Miles Per Hour. And it, these two guys took a Segway scooter across the country from, you know, West Coast to, to East Coast and uh, and filmed it and made this documentary. And uh, I kind of caught wind of that. I'm like, holy crap, another sort of cross-country documentary adventure. wonder how they pulled that off. So they had a website that I looked up. And uh, lo and behold, they these two guys who made this film lived in Denver, Colorado. I'm like, what are the odds of that? So, you know, hit them up on the contact form on the website. I got a reply and um, like four or five days later, I was sitting having a beer with this guy named Hunter Weeks. And we were kind of talking about how they did their film, this guy, uh, Hunter and Josh, how they kind of pulled it off and how they did it. I kind of told them about this crazy mountain bike adventure that I was considering kind of doing. And they're like, that 
could be kind of interesting. I'd be open to working with you and and you know getting a camera out there and seeing what happens. <laughs> so that's kind of how it all began. Yeah, they're Segway guys. They're not cyclists. No, no, Hunter's not a cyclist at all. No. <laughs> I love it. He's a Segway guy. That is so cool. They're not even Segway guys. They're it was just a it was a thing they did, a gag or crazy ass idea. Again, one yeah. of those things probably sitting around drinking beers and someone's like, you know, I should make a film about taking because the Segways had just kind of come out. They were they were kind of a new thing. I don't even know what year this was. This probably goes back to 2007, six or somewhere around there. So they one of those it's like crazy idea. Let's let's do it and document it. <laughs> I mean, it's probably not any crazier. I mean, what you were doing was crazier than that. They were probably on streets and stuff with resources. I mean, really, if you put it in perspective, what you're doing is way crazier. Right. So it was, it was you know, much difficult to, to shoot, right? So access to, you know, the route was, was super difficult. And that ended up, you know, being part of the story of being sort of trying to track down Right, the, the racers and and everything else. So I have to mention a uh, little Larry. He was my he was one of my favorite <laughs> favorite yeah. guys in the whole film. Yeah. Have you kept up with him, or do you have any way to contact that guy? He's dead, unfortunately. Oh man, he went to take a deposit out of the bank and a tree and his money fell. Yeah, over. oh dude, no, that that's his bank. You know, the forest was his bank. You know, he'd have to go chop down a tree and put it in the back of his truck and take it to someone else, someone's house for firewood and, and he got paid. So the tree, the forest provided, right? When the film was done in 2010, we were kind of on a little film tour and uh, we went and screened the film in Helena, Montana, which is uh, the closest sort of city to Ovando where he lived and where that they filmed that that part of the film so we went to go track him down and bring him to the screening and we found out through one of the bar restaurant there that um he had gotten i believe pancreatic cancer or kidney cancer or something and passed away like six months prior to us being there my dad passed away from pancreatic cancer it it's a hard and so did Steve Jobs. Like I figure if Steve Jobs can't beat it, nobody can. That's a tough yeah, one. Yeah. 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 Sure. That's a bummer. Well, he was uh he was quite the hoot. Yeah. Look at them, they're racing. Yeah. They're, they're hauling ass. Look at <laughs> it's cool you got to I mean, hearing that he's passed on, it's cool that you captured that moment. It's one of the ones I always remember. He was such a I love I don't I mean, I just like pictured his life, I guess. Like he just kind of doing his thing, goes out, goes to work, cuts down a tree, takes it, you know, gets paid. And he looked happy as could be, you know, living a very simple life, you know. And that's one thing I like about bike touring and bike packing is you meet some of the most unique people along the way you know they're just like wow this person exists this is so great and that's the beauty of of, of being out in it yourself touring but i think all then on the flip side of that with a documentary film you know it's it's you could be sitting you know in your living room or, or in a theater and get a slice of someone else's life that you would have you know, had no idea that that exists otherwise, but even better do, you know, meeting them yourself on, on a bike packing trip. Oh, for right? sure. <laughs> well, I felt, I mean, I'll never forget little Larry, man. That's what he said in the film. Actually. He said, I'll tell you what, it takes a long time to get rid of little Larry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's <and> right. <laughs> and we kind of talked about the beginning, you know, these films kind of standing the test of time. And, and I think, you know, purposefully all the films, kind of put out there is is really a focus on on story 
and the people, places, and things along the way become characters and, and story. It isn't, you know, just about the racers point A to point B against all odds. You know, that's sort of the through story that I think keeps people engaged and, and rooting for, you know, for, for, for them to finish and, and kind of adds that sense. But I think from a, a story perspective, getting to be a fly on the wall and, and kind of meet you know, little Larry and, and Harley Davidson, you know, guys going to go dip their, their foot in the Arctic ocean and, and all that. So. I'm curious, like what your expectation was for the film, like going into it, I would assume that you're pleasantly surprised by the response. Maybe. I mean, Oh, for sure. Dude, it, like I said, I think we said it earlier. There was, it was no film. There was no title. So what was your expectation? Like you're just, yeah. What was your thought going into it? I guess. I don't know. I just pure, (laughs) just pure passion. Really. It's like, I don't know. It's had, you know, kind of been in, in this corporate TV world for, for 11 years. And, and now this opportunity kind of popped up and, uh, and actually kind of even backing up a little bit. So a bunch of people got laid off at stars one months before this was all sort of set to, to take off. And I actually kind of left with a, a decent severance package. So now not only did, did I was kind of off on this adventure, but had actually a bit of money to, to kind of put into a particular, you know, sort of project. So, you know, granted it wasn't much, it was still, you know, kind of scraping things by, but, you know, we bought a, a nice new HD camera and, and, and whatnot. So expectations were, had no freaking clue other than, you know, some, some hope. So a good year and a half of editing, you know, in between sort of side jobs and consulting and hustling and things like that was able to, to kind of edit, edit this thing together. And it actually felt like a, a real film, you know, and, uh, and then put a lot of uh, focus into the music and the soundtrack and uh, called in some favors with uh, some graphic design people that I knew, some sound design people that I knew. So we're able to kind of get some pretty high post-production value with a surround mix and, and the nice sound and, and some graphics and packaging with poster and, and DVD and, and everything. But when we kind of first got the film done, we entered it into the Vale Film Festival we got in the Vail Film Festival and it actually won, you know, Best Adventure Film. So the expectation after that win became stronger. So it's like, okay, so th- this is <laughs> potentially a real thing. So then after that, we kind of then got into another uh, film festival and then booked booked out the, the Boulder Theater. I don't know if you had never been, but the Boulder Theater you know, it's like this 850 seat music venue that also also shows films and Gregory Allen Isakov, who has two songs in the soundtrack. And, and back in 2008, he was just kind of getting to be become fairly known. So we had him come play some music along with the, you know, after the film. And I think we had just over 600 people at that at that screening. So that's after that happened within a month of kind of putting it out there, then that's when we then put it into DVD and then started kind of talking about getting it out into iTunes and, and all that other stuff. Where is it now? Is it on Netflix? No, it, it was on Netflix it was when on it Netflix, first came it? out. Yep. So, okay. so Netflix only, they buy, um, they license for just like periods of time and they had it for two years and then the license expired. 
Um, it was a two year. I own it on uh, Amazon. That's where I, okay. I bought it. Got it. Yeah. So right now it's, I think you can find it on Amazon, iTunes and like Vimeo on demand. Um, and maybe some other random places like Google play or, or something like that. So what kind of, as a, like, I don't even know, I'm done whenever it comes to making films, but like, what's the big time with that film? Like what's the main goal to make your money back? <laughs> um, that's a good answer <laughs> so you know so granted you know i hear i mentioned a bit of severance package but dude i racked up tons of credit cards you know finishing it and, and everything else so making your money back is is a win as an independent and then everything after that as is an bonus. independent exactly yeah so i mean i do a little bit of i'm learning with the podcast about you know creating content and putting out there and you know that kind of stuff like there has to be a certain level of confidence, right, for you to believe in what you're doing enough to invest the time and the resources and the money. What gave you that confidence to do that? I think having, you know, the background that that I did in 20, however many years in the film and, and TV industry, I, you know, had some connections, knew the people, had definitely the production chops as far as being able to edit quality story and, and, and everything else. So, so, you know, I think that's a big piece of it is, is I knew my filmmaking skill sets were, were, were pretty solid, but, but then it's the, it's really the marketing side of things is, is where it's like, you can make a great film, but, but if nobody knows about it, no one can buy it. So honestly, I kind of, you know, I'm a kid of the Warren Miller ski films, <laughs> you know, back, back in the day. So Warren Miller, um, used to make, he was like the godfather of ski films in the, you know, I eight. need to check him out. Cause you're not the first person that's mentioned him to me, but growing up in Texas, there's no ski slopes. Around here, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're a Montana boy here. So in the eighties and nineties, you know, every year Warren Miller would uh, pump out a ski film and he would then, kind of get the film out on tour so they would then sort of replicate it and this was film this was like 16 millimeter film reels <laughs> so they would make you know probably hundreds of, of copies of this film and then ski clubs and and ski mountains would then sort of get the film in their respective city and put on a screening um, in their town and sell tickets and, and things like that and then inevitably when dvds came out he would then you know you could by the Warren Miller ski films on DVD. So honestly, that, you know, was kind of a model that I'm like, Warren Miller took his ski films out, you know, on theatrical tours. So I could do that too, right? So that's kind of where then the Boulder theater sort of thing came into play. And, and then that was, you know, just getting on the phone and, and booking out theaters and renting theaters and selling tickets and, and then just hustling your freaking ass off from a sales marketing perspective you know it's almost like an indie band okay yeah yeah you got to book a gig yeah you're, you're on tour you're you're playing different cities every night uh you're booking out the venue you're selling swag you know at a at a table at, at the side of the stage so that's really kind of been a big model and i actually miss that getting face to face kind of hearing the oohs and the ahs and the laughs and from a live audience and, and everything is it's actually magical it's like a drug for filmmakers so oh i can imagine i can imagine i you know i put out a podcast and i don't I'm, I'm not there watching how they're reacting to it and stuff you know but part of me thinks that would be cool as long as they like it if they didn't like it i don't want to be there but if they <laughs> like it i think it'd be good <laughs> that's another thing is like i've grown a super thick skin yeah because if you start reading you know the reviews on amazon and itunes and everything else it's like some people love it and some people say it's the worst thing they've ever seen and it was a waste of their their life energy and everything else. So, <laughs> so you get a thick skin. 
<laughs> well, you can't, I mean, dude, you can't pay attention to the people on the internet. Like you don't know them exactly. and they don't know you. I don't know. For I sure. Mean, For sure. Yeah. You're going to expose yourself to a certain level of that. Uh, in the movie, there was a couple of touching moments with your family. One when you were leaving, and and then also whenever you pulled the plug. Was that uncommon for you to be away from your family for so long? Totally, yeah. So were they pretty supportive of you, or did they think you were crazy? Super, super supportive. Yeah, you know, looking back on that time now, my wife Tina and my kids were were pretty small at the time, and and now my daughters in in college. And my son, who's 17, is like three inches taller than me, and I'm like six foot. So, so it's crazy. But yeah, back on that, you know, that time, super freaking supportive, like crazy, unimaginable. It's like, wow, you let me do that. Thank you so much. And not only do it for, you know, that particular film, but then, you know, like for another four or five years with a bunch of other films and, and then yeah. going on a trip around the world for, for the Reveal the Path film. So. Yeah, well, I mean that that is cool. I mean, I, I I was curious because in the film, your wife kind of looked over at you. I was like, "What is she really thinking?" <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We should ask her. I'm curious what she was really thinking too. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I think I mean you answered the question. I mean, regardless of what she was thinking, she stood by you and let you do your thing, and obviously continue to support you and hasn't left you yet. So you can't be doing too. Yes, thank God. Knock on knock on wood. I think I think doing the race was an easy thing to get permission for and, and to do, but all of this crazy filmmaking stuff beyond just do, being, you know, doing the race has been the biggest hardship <laughs> um, <laughs> on, on, on the family, just cause there's so much, you know, financial sort of aspect that that's kind of been part of that. So, yeah, it's not an easy path whenever you're an entrepreneur creating something and yeah, it's such a gamble, If I feel like. I mean, I'm not a filmmaker, so I don't know. But, you know, you put a lot of money, time. I mean, you spend an hour and a half or an hour and a half, a year and a half uh, editing it. Yeah. And then you obviously have to do it and prepare for doing it and get all the film equipment and, you know, do all the logistics. And then like, OK, I hope I hope I make some money. <laughs> right. And then spend, them, you know, two to three years after that again. Yeah. Hustling and marketing and trying to sell it and all that other good stuff. So again, back to the the 10 year anniversary is I kind of keep saying, you know, it comes celebrate. It's truly, you know, a celebratory feeling 10 years from the film being out put out there is, is, is here we are 10 years later and it does feel like a celebration. So, yeah, well, is I feel like it's a celebration for everybody, for fans of the film to come ask questions I mean, there's a whole host. I mean, I think people probably need to go to the website, rtd10.com, and see everybody. I mean, but you have, like, a lot of the uh, – sorry, not guests. Athletes uh, or, or athletes. just – Athletes. Yep. It's like I want to – as a filmmaker, you just want to say cast and crew, but – Dude, they're not cast. They're athletes. They're they're not hired actors. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they're, you've got everybody back together to come and like celebrate, and then you're allowing you know people to come and ask questions and and get those answered and stuff. So it should be a pretty good party. I'm looking forward to it. And we haven't mentioned that I'm actually going to be hosting the live Q and A portion. So that's exciting. Yeah. Woohoo! Thank you for saying yes to that. Of course, I'm only a little bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> nervous is no, good, I'm, I'm, though, right? I mean, I'm looking forward to it. It's a it's a real big honor. I mean, the reason I got into bikepacking was because Ride the Divide and and the stories. That's the thing, like you said, the the stories that I connected with that I still connect with. And as a result, 
I'm a bike packer that hosts a podcast that is centered on the stories of the people who participate. You know, that's my whole tagline. Like, I don't care about what bike you rode or what gear you had. And, you know, I I just want to hear your story. I want to hear where you came from, what kind of experiences you had, you know, where you went, how, you know, whatever. And and it really harkens back to just remembering the stories that that you told on those rides, you know, and I related to those, you know, so it's cool to be, it's like coming for full circle. Now I get to, I get to ask questions to people who originally inspired me. So it's like, of course, I'm going to say yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm, Very cool. I'm kind of freaking out only a little bit. <laughs> Everyone's real. We're all just people. And, you know, I think there's something to following your passion and saying yes. And, and if, we're presented with paths in, in our life on, on a daily basis, but seasonally we come to a crossroads and we can say yes or no to a particular path or a decision or a dream or something. And I think, you know, the more often that you say yes, the more opportunities like this that come into play and, and things end up getting created and put out into the world that cause ripple effects that inspire podcasts and bunch of other crazy stuff. <laughs> I mean, you never know when you put something out in out into the world how it's going to affect people. I can't imagine I mean, I get messages quite frequently about people who went on their first bikepacking trip or, you know, had the confidence or the inspiration. I mean, that's touching. I mean, there's like a cult following that follows <laughs> your films, I feel like. You know, even just, you know, starting to talk about this 10-year anniversary again, you know, comments are are starting to kind of come back in about, dude, you know, this film, you know, changed my life. And, you know, what does that mean changed your life? You know, I think to each person, obviously it, it's unique and, and different, but, you know, anytime that, you know, your film changed a course in someone's life, whether you're, you know, went off to do the tour divide race, you know, yourself after, after watching the film, which I think has happened probably hundreds of times to, to people or to your case, like, you know, I went off and did my first overnighter or bikepacking trip. You know, it, it's crazy to think that this thing that you put out into the world made somebody act and do something different that they wouldn't have otherwise done, which is crazy to think about, actually. Yeah, I love putting out, I mean, I'm all about putting out good content. There's so much shitty content and negative content and gross content it feels good to put something good out and, and amen. Like, amen. <laughs> cheers. Yeah. I mean, it just, it feels good to give something, be an anecdote to everything that's like negative and, and just nasty in the world and try to give some people some like better ways to go about life or whatever, you know, get them off the couch. Yeah. And it's not like you're forcing, you know, you're no. not forcing. It's just like, you're just, you know, documenting I didn't this know. thing. <laughs> well, I was I was going to talk to you earlier about Eco Challenge. Are you familiar with Eco Challenge, Mark oh, yeah. Burnett? Yeah. Yeah. So for people who don't know, uh, Eco Challenge is about to be re-released, but it was originally. No way. Yeah, yeah. It's coming out on Amazon, I believe. It was originally back in the '90s, and Rebecca Rush was on there, and a bunch of other people. But I was obsessed with that. And watched it. I mean, I have them all recorded on a VHS still <laughs> to this day. And so when I saw your film, what, probably 10 years later after Eco Challenge, it was the first time that I had seen something that, like, caught me the same way. It's like, holy shit, I had no idea that this existed. 
and that human beings were capable of this because eco challenge was like physics. I mean, that was some crazy shit. I'm just like, I was always so enamored by those athletes. And then your film did a, a similar thing. I'm like, holy crap, you know, it really blew my mind. Yeah. But I think then, you know, ride the divide is, as you were saying earlier, it's like a bit more relatable, you know, the people kind of oh, doing yeah, yeah. that were, um, you know, not, Almost, I think the eco, eco challenge were almost kind of super athletes, like almost, yeah, you know, like sure. Olympian type, you know, sort of thing yeah. is what my perception was anyway. But then, well, let's talk about that. I mean, the interesting thing about your film is like you have Matthew Lee, who is, in my opinion, it's got to be up there with a super athlete, yes, you know, for sure, that, of course, you know. But then you also have, you know, you who's not a super athlete, no offense, but I mean, you know, you have a, a job and a fan. That's that's what I relate to, right? Like, and that's what I always tell people like i'm not a super athlete i'm i'm a dad with a full-time job and a couple kids and i like to ride bikes you know this is what i do for fun you know and um, i like to inspire people and i like to talk about bikes and so your film really covered the uh, a really great spectrum where you could watch somebody just dominate the course right and and then other people who were having their own personal battles and struggles through you know mental psychological and and also just physical ailments you know yeah for sure I want to save because we're going to be talking a lot about everybody's experiences when we're doing the live Q&A, but I'd like to hear about how the race went for you. I mean, you had to have some expectations going into it. You're obviously managing like the film stuff kind of too. So how, how did it go for you? You know, actually up at the, up at the start, I'm, I kind of said to Hunter and then Anthony, who was also a hunter's partner up there. I'm like, guys, as soon as I put on this helmet, it's all you. I've, uh, <laughs> you know, as soon as this helmet goes on, it's, uh, this is your, this is kind of your show. And then we took off and I'm like excited because it's like, holy shit, we're here. We're doing this. We're taking off. This is exciting. It was a beautiful day. And then, you know, probably like, you know, eight, 10 hours in, hundred mile day. It's like, you know, feeling pretty good. And then by day three and four, you're like, holy shit. We're like just in Northern Montana. <laughs> My knee is freaking throbbing and swollen. It's like, what did I get myself into? This is insane. But then I think, yeah, just taking off, you know, everyone's looking at each other and, you know, you know, me, I'm looking at people's gear and I'm asking questions. And, and luckily right around the end of day one, Mary and I, kind of ended up with a, a similar pace and started chatting with her. And she has a bunch of 24-hour races under her belt. So so she was giving me some really great advice just on nutrition and, and kind of some food and like raising your legs, you know, up to kind of, you know, when you're resting to kind of drain the, the you know, the blood out of your legs and stuff. So I was picking her brain just from her experience doing 24-hour races and, and everything. But uh, just like excited and, and kind of giddy, but then holy shit, <laughs> you know, everything mixed in for sure. Well, it, so, I mean, it's obviously harder than you can imagine. At what point were you like, what is around day three you said, where you just like, oh shit, what did I get myself into? Like right around the Lincoln, kind of between Whitefish and, and Lincoln, that stretch was was definitely, you know, feeling some massive knee pain and definitely kind of, you know, you kind of reassess. It's like, holy crap, this <laughs> may not be, you know, because when you're starting and, and when you're prepping for this, it's like, dude, my goal was like 22 days, I think, 21, 22 uh -huh. days. It's like, 
I got this, man. 22 days, it's, you know, that's not lightning fast, but it's not super slow. I think I can pull that off, you know? So that's, you know, the goal going into it. But then, um, and then once, yeah, four, five, six days in, you know, you, if you are really kind of holding true to your, your, your goal, you can, I think, mentally get into a hard place. So definitely going with the flow of it is, is key. <laughs> so what, what was the thing that ultimately took you out of the race? What took me out, I think, was I was at the southern sort of border of Yellowstone. So just kind of leaving the Idaho border and then this this stretch at the southern edge of of, uh, of the park was just sort of intermittent gravel, mud, snow, mud, gravel, mud, snow, <laughs> mud, gravel, just for miles and miles of this intermittent surface where it was it was walking and then dragging and then trying to scrape all the mud off and then able to ride a little bit. But what the insane factor right there was swarms and swarms of mosquitoes uh. and hiking and pulling through the mud and the snow. You could not escape the massive swarm of mosquitoes in this particular stretch. And, and that just brought me so far down more so than any physical knee pain that just like pummeled me <laughs> and then kind of made it into flag ranch which is kind of right at, you know at, at the park yellowstone park there and i got on a payphone with with my wife tina i'm like dude i'm done this is this is insane and then i called hunter and anthony and then in the film that's kind of where you know, you see the phone call. And you were talking to your daughters, I think. Actually, that then came the next day when I did okay. finally pull the plug is is when when I kind of then phoned home and told my daughter that I was done. But honestly, it was I could almost you could almost say it was the mosquitoes fault. <laughs> <laughs> I hate mosquitoes. I don't blame you. Did you second guess yourself at the time? Did it bother you? Does it bother you now? I mean, so Hunter and Anthony, when, when this was all going down, they were in like Rollins, they were like in way on the other side of Wyoming filming like Reuben and Matthew. <laughs> so they were nowhere near, mm -hmm. near me. But then from a storytelling perspective, again, making one of these films is you think the racers are, are having it hard. You know, the, the person with the camera driving, driving all over the place and and sleeping as little or less than the racer is trying trying to get around and get story and everything so so they hop in the rig and drive all night to get up to where I am and and I often wonder if they didn't make it there that sort of night and morning if I would have woke up got a good meal kind of cleaned up a little bit if I would have um you know continued on um a bit more so so that's the big what if. And I think anytime you make a decision, um, of course, you you are going to have the what if moments for forever. <laughs> did you feel any like extra pressure because you knew you were going to be filmed to just keep going or did it really? No, no, you just you're like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> when you're when when you're, you know pushing yourself that hard, it's like nothing else matters. Yeah, it's you like you've got blinders on. It's like the, the blinders are moving forward. Eating, eating and, and moving forward. <laughs> That's pretty much your focus. So you transitioned after that to getting back on the film crew, basically. Did that help with the film ultimately? Did that help having an extra person to, I don't know. It's, 
I, you know, it was again none of it was planned. Well, I no, just, no, no, I didn't, I didn't mean that, but I, I I'm just kind of for sure. So, so did it, did it help? I think so, sure. So, what ended up happening is since we were in in Idaho, so Mike McCoy, who actually created the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route, lives you know, not too far away. So we actually contacted him and went and did a, an interview with him as I was still kind of mentally coming out of, out of everything. So that was kind of my first sort of easing out of being a, a rider racer and then went to like a IHOP or something and just, you know, had a huge stack of pancakes. And then we ended up kind of making our way down to Steamboat and kind of we're, we're hanging out at the Moots facility, which we had kind of had a connection contact with. And then there we decided Anthony was going to stay in, in Steamboat and then I was going to hop on with Hunter and then Hunter and I then finished out the filming together. So you mentioned uh, Moots. I was going to ask you, do you still have the Moots YBB? No, dude. One of my, I, I, we ended up doing like this big sort of contest um, as we were, again, sales and marketing hat on, you know, trying to raise awareness for, for the film. So in 2010, we, we kind of had some contest going on where the, my moots was the grand prize uh. and I ended up giving it away as this grand prize. And I absolutely would, would give a lot to have that back. Oh yeah. So why don't you put your email out there so they can get in contact with you and get it back to you. It's rightful owner. My email address is Mike at rtd10.com. <laughs> RDT, where you can get your tickets for the live event. We we never put out the day and the time, so we should probably, when is it? <laughs> August 2nd is going to be the live event. It'll uh, be at noon Pacific time. So do the time zone math for wherever you happen to be um, around the world. So August 2nd will be the live event. But then if, um, you know, if you're out for a ride or, or can't make the live event, you can also, you know, follow up and, and check out all of the the replays and, and all of the video content that, that we recorded from that live event. But then also, you know, inside this screening room that we've put together are going to be a bunch of extra bonuses and other cool things. And then kind of talking about current current events and, and things like that. So when, if you're listening to this well after August 2nd, you can still go to rtd10.com and, and check out all the content and video. So let's go through what the live event is going to be. It's going to be broken up into several different parts. Can you run through those real quick? Yeah. So the kind of the, the first part is, again, that sort of honoring, you know, the OGs of, uh, of the Great Divide mountain bike route. So McCoy, who like 25 years ago, you know, was you know, sitting around thinking, you know, should we create, you know, a route from, you know, Canada to Mexico along, along the continental divide. So the first sort of probably two hours will be kind of chatting with, um, you know, the OGs, the, the early folks of, um, the great divide, um, era, and then we'll transition then to the, the film celebration aspect of it, where it'll be kind of the, the participating athletes and, and producers kind of, um, you know, getting together and, and, and mingling, but then we're going to stream the film, um, in real time and we'll be able to kind of, you know, talk over the film, kind of like an audio commentary track on a DVD or something, uh, something like that, which could be really chaotic or it could be actually really super fun. So you're going to have to tune in to see if, uh, if we pull that off or not. So my then, understanding with that is it, is it that they can 
choose to listen to the kind of audio that's going on, the, 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 the chatter that's going on amongst the cast and the crew, or they can choose not to. Is that right? Yeah. So there, so there's kind of two windows. So, so you can choose to just play the film um, and, and, you know, make the film go full screen and, and just watch the film. Um, or you'll kind of be inside like a, a, a video conferencing window um, and there will probably be anywhere from seven to 10 of us, excuse me, seven to 12 of us. And then also within that window will be the film. So, so let's just say there's, you know, the film is, is within this sort of zoom environment, but then you've also got, you know, seven to 10 athletes and producers all watching kind of the film at the same time as anybody who is tuned in to, to the screening room. And then, so if you, you know, are, are in, you know, someone who's participating from a, a ticket holder, you can go down into the chat and ask questions and communicate with whoever you want to and kind of, you know, chat amongst yourselves in a chat role, but then listen to, you know, us <laughs> kind of reminisce from, from 12 years ago. So, but then after the film streams with, with, either something super cool or super chaotic, <laughs> then we'll have a proper sort of Q and a with, um, you know, with you moderating and, and everything else that will be uh, less chaotic. <laughs> and, and that can be done through uh, just uh, like a comment on the chat thing, right? They just, that'll stay kind of in, in the zoom um, environment. Um, but you don't, you, you won't have a film getting, getting in the way. In my opinion, I think that the like listening into the chatter from everybody while the film is going in on, I think that's going to be the price of admission right there. Like that's the part I'm most curious about is to just hear what y'all think is funny or, Oh shit, you have no idea how hard it was to get that shot or, you know, how cold I was here. Like it'll just like you get to, I, the way I imagine it is just like watch, listening to them go down memory lane and you go down memory lane, you know, and just kind of relive it, you know, and then being and then being able to like, yeah, I mean, if you're a fan, like you can just, you know, type in a little question and, you know, hopefully they see it and they can interact with them. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's acts. I mean, I don't know, man. I'm like, I'm really pumped. I'm excited. No, totally. And then, and then again, the way I kind of built this website up is it'll live, it'll live on for, for months and, and or years. So, you know, so that, you know, so if you've bought a ticket, then you get access to, the the screening room so you get access to the let's just call it a theater and then inside this theater will be all the other um you know people leaving comments and then the live streaming and then after the live event all of the re- the replays will then be populated in this streaming so so we can keep that chat going on for for months almost like a you know a facebook group or, or something like that so you know, filmmakers and athletes can pop in there two days later, 20 days later, and still potentially ask, you know, answer questions or get in on a conversation or something. I'm sure inevitably at some point it'll die off. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but for the, <laughs> but for the, you know, for, you know, a good 30 days, it, it'll still be pretty fun to check out and hang out in. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I mean, I think I would, I just can't imagine having that kind of access to to the cast and crew and athletes. I keep calling them cast too. <laughs> <laughs> the cast and the crew, but the athletes too. Uh, yeah. And I guess you were both, you were cast, crew, athlete, everything. Yes. At that time, many hats. Uh, speaking of the cast, how did you pick the, the people that we saw in the film? So Mary was the only female 
and you know that was first female to ever complete the tour divide right yeah right, yeah yep given that it was the inaugural year so that unto itself was awesome and then it's matthew's event so that was was kind of you know a no-brainer and then myself because i i don't know why just because i guess <laughs> <laughs> but then it became who whoever else was willing and wanting to to kind of you know have a camera nearby it at times tell tell what was going on with with their day or or what was going good or, or bad or um, if they were in a restaurant you know the camera was kind of a fly on the wall as as they were shoving pizza in their face or 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 whatnot so um so then it just becomes a very organic sort of situation where as the camera you know kind of rolls all day long sometimes you capture cool stuff and and sometimes you don't. And then that's where you spend a year in in the edit bay, kind of sifting through everything and and kind of finding how the through story actually works. Well, at least it was digital and not sixteen mil. You know, it was. We did have being two thousand eight. There, we did have a camera that was still shooting on small HD tape that we had to ingest. And uh, thank God that was the last time I ever had to do a project that had any kind of a tape paste mechanism, which, you know, to look back on now is, is just insane how far we've come from a, from a technology standpoint, but we did have quite a bit of stuff that, that we, that was shot on tape based camera. <laughs> I mean, you talk about technology and it just, it ties it back into how timeless the film is. And really a lot has changed with bikepacking, but a lot hasn't with the route. I mean, it's more well-known. There's more people doing it. The gear's gotten a little more sophisticated and stuff. People are going faster, but you have the Matthew Lees still, right? You have the people that are going fast, but you still have just everyday people. I will say everyday people, because if you if you line up on Tour Divide, you're not an everyday person. You're you're exceptional to get out there and, and, and give it a go. Totally. You know? And and then we also have to think about that route was originally put together as as something to do to tour over the course of 60 days right so as many people who have raced it as part of a as part of a race you've probably have a multitude more who've actually been out there touring the whole thing or or sections of it so you can also tour the thing, right? <laughs> in truth, that's the part that appeals to me more. I mean, I don't have the time uh, and ability to leave work the way that you did. I mean, you got lucky. You got fired and they gave you money. You know? no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I need someone to fire me and give me money. To, but I mean, you know, my my thought is uh, one day when I'm older, maybe I'll go out there and tour the whole thing. Not maybe. I mean, it's on my list. Like, I'll, there you go. I'll get out there. I'll get out there one day. But, you know, it's like also what we've said is since then – there's limitless supply of routes and places you can go. So while the Tour Divide is very much the pre, uh, you know, route and event in America, in the world, there's still like lots of options that are awesome. So I'm not, sure. I'm not bored. I'm not, I'm not getting bored over here. <laughs> there's still, <laughs> still lots to do. Indeed. All right, man. Well, anything else before we wrap it up? Man, I think I think we uh, did pretty good here. The story continues for this live event at rtd10.com. Tell your wife, tell your friend, tell your mom. Hoo-wah. <laughs> I had to I had to throw that in there. How much are <laughs> how much are the tickets? It's a 10-year anniversary, so the tickets are 10 bucks. That's it? 
that's uh, that's it. You should raise the prices real quick. You do have the option to add an additional five dollars if you would like to throw towards uh, bikepacking routes or uh, $5 to Adventure Cycling Association. So that is an option with your ticket price. And there is sort of a pre-order bundle that you can also pick up. So we also are going to put out a limited edition sort of 1,000 copy package of a new version of the film. So we're going to add back in some uncut scenes and some deleted scenes. So we're going to try to do our best to add 10 to 20 minutes to, to the film and kind of put that out there. And then also a new poster design. So only a thousand um, will ever be created of those and they'll be hand numbered and, and, and whatnot. And then a new t-shirt design. So you can add pre-order to, to that bundle um, when you buy your ticket as well. I'm just, I forgot, but there's prizes too. So how do those work in? They're, they're coming in on a daily basis. So um, people are kind of hitting me up. And if you represent a brand and you would like to add a, a prize pack to, to the mix, big bundle from Adventure Cycling Association. We've got some killer titanium bottle openers. Some uh, JPack bags are being created. Oh, cool. Got a couple Apodura bags, some sticker packs, uh, Floyd's of Leadville. Got some CBD products that they're going to uh, be throwing out. How about a? Uh, how about some Bikes for Death packages? I'll throw some out there too. I'll throw some shirts, stickers, patches. Done. I don't have a lot, but I'll, I'll do I'll do some packages for you. We'll, we'll put together some stuff. Done. So then the idea with the prizes, I think we have so many that I don't know that we're going to try to give them all away at the live event because that'll be really long and add yeah. another hour or so. Right. So I think knowing that people can kind of hit, hit the replays and, and everything else. So probably 30 days after the live event. So let's just say sort of like September 2nd. We'll probably, as all the prizes that we've now collected, we'll go ahead and do like a big giveaway event where we'll go through everyone who's purchased a, a ticket and then have a huge sort of giveaway, sort of another live moment where where everyone can uh, can win something awesome. Cool. Well, I'm super excited again. Thank you, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast and thank you for offering to have me host a portion of the Q&A. That's going to be a really neat experience. And hopefully we can have a lot of uh, bikepacking nerdy friends that join us online. And honestly, I thought it was more than $10. So I don't want to sound like a used car salesman, but that's a, that's a good deal. Yeah, it's... um That's a fair price. 10, 10 year, 10 bucks was, you know, I thought pretty fair. So... Easy peasy. All right, man. <laughs> well, until we meet again, I guess, in a couple weeks online. Very cool. Thank you again, and uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. All right, bud. Take care. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, don't forget, if you want to find out more information about the live event, or if you're listening to this post the live event, then uh, still go to bikesfordeath.com. There's going to be a hyperlink at the very top, RTD10 Party. Click on that, and uh, all the info you need is there. And if you buy a ticket, then a little bit is kicked back to me if you use that link. So thank you very much for that. Now, episode 50 comes out soon, and it is with my new friend, Leo Rogers. Uh, Leo has made the news kind of really come on the scene recently with like Bicycle Magazine did a feature on him. There's a Lucas Brunelli film that just was re released within the last uh, month or so. And then the guys over at uh, Crust, Ron's Bikes, and Ultra Dynamico uh, just put him on a factory pro recreation team. I think most people are probably aware of Leo. Um, 
with all the media that's that's surrounding him recently. Um, but it was great to be able to catch up with him. Very, very inspirational guy. We had a wonderful chat, and I can't wait to release that episode. And listen, man, if if you ever need inspiration, definitely tune into that one because he makes no excuses. He's going to tackle all the same stuff. He had, One of my favorite lines is he says, uh, don't worry, I'll wait up for you. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Come out to my ride. Come out to my ride. Don't worry. I'll wait up for you. Don't be scared. (laughs) I love it, man. No excuses. So he goes all out and doesn't let his handicap be a handicap. He's he's living his life, a true inspiration, and uh, can't wait for y'all to hear that episode next time on the Bikes for Death podcast. But until then, it doesn't matter how many legs you got, just go ride your damn bike.